Thank you for joining the City Growth Church Podcast. Here at CGC, we're a community of imperfect people living in apprenticeship to a perfect God. If you enjoyed today's message, please like, share, subscribe, and leave a brief review to help make this resource more available to your loved ones. God bless you, and let's start tracking together starting with today's message. Shoes, we all know that's coming. Uh, we're going to be spending the bulk of our time right there today. Uh, but again, open your Bible if you have one in front of you. Uh, if you're using a virtual version, uh, again, Matthew chapter 7. If you don't own a Bible, uh, you know, we have shelves loaded to the brim. Uh, please, please, please never leave this place not having a Bible because we have them uh, for you to have. I'm going to lay down a bit of a challenge today. Uh, before we conclude, so that'll be a little different than what you're used to. Um, so I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump uh, right into the message uh, for today. Dear Heavenly Father God, we're just so thankful, Lord, to be able to come and just spend time uh, meditating on your word, uh, meditating on your presence, God, and just really refocusing uh, our energies, God, and refocusing our attention on you uh, and what you do in our lives. And we just pray that you'll use this message uh, you'll use the whole experience of coming together as a family for worship, God. You'll use the entire experience for, for our good, God. In your name we pray. Amen. So, am I live? Okay, just making sure, you know. I always like to, you know, make sure before I say anything. Usually, like, okay. So, I'm going to read our passage again for us really quick. Uh, and we will really will dive in uh, to what we have today. I'm going to go ahead and let you know, uh, we looked at last week, uh, Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 1, was probably, that's like the most quoted Bible verse by non-believers, right? Like everybody, even if you don't know for God so loved the world, you know, hey, uh, somewhere in that Bible it says something about judgment, and you ain't supposed to do it. All right. Keep reading in context here. Uh, you can take any book, pretty much any book, go to wherever you want in that book and find something and make it say a lot of things don't say. Everybody comfortable with that concept? Like you're familiar with that? So basically what happens is my child has had this microphone at some point in time. Uh, the non-believers will go to Matthew chapter 7 verse uh, 1. And just pretty much they'll go, judge not, that you not be judged. I don't want anything else, right? Like, that that's where I'm at. That's all we got. We are good. We can go home. And they won't, they don't want to follow the, the, the rules and the regulations and the law. And they don't want to follow the love of Jesus. They just want it to mean what they want it to mean. And if it means that, hey, I'm cool with it, right? And the thing is, we have allowed the word inundated. Anybody familiar with this term, inundated? So we have, like, allowed it to seep into everything that we do. We have allowed non-believers' stance on Scripture to define our stance on Scripture. Today is another one of those verses that people will pick out, right? Go ahead and read the verse, right? It's Matthew chapter 7. Remember verse 1 is like, that's every non-believer's favorite verse. Well, this is, this is like, this one's pretty high up there, right? They know this one too. Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 12, it says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. They don't know anything about the law and the prophets. They have no idea what that means. They don't care to know what that means, but they do know. Can't judge people. And you got to like do nice stuff to people. And, it's not a but, but there's an and, there's other things required. Let's just really read this in context. We're going to dive in. Uh, the reason why I paired 7 through 14, 13 and 14 actually introduce us. Uh, just so you know, verse 12 is the end of uh, Matthew chapter 5, 17 through Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. That's all one big in the original text, that's all one big, that's the Sermon on the Mount. Right before the Sermon on the Mount was the Beatitudes. If you were here in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, you're familiar with this. And the, the, the Beatitudes was like an introduction. 
Because if you've seen anything as we've taught the Sermon on the Mount, it's like, this one needs some, you got to have some, some, some background and some foreknowledge for this to make sense, right? Because in some places it just seems so idealistic that you're like, oh, what in the world? Yeah, those, those Christians, right? And then in other places, it, it's like, it's like a non-believer's paradise. It's like, oh, see, that's what your, your own, your own God said that. Did you read anything else around it? Mm-mm, your God said that. And Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 was one of those verses. So it says, ask, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened, verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asked for bread, will give him a stone? Verse 10, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, wait a minute, remember Jesus? Hey, your God said that, okay? Here's our God. Here's Jesus. Here's God in, in the flesh, right? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you... Oh, man. That guy, reading verse 11 before this kind of gives that a new meaning, doesn't it? Jesus' words were... Guys, if you've got a red-letter Bible, what was verse 11? No secret here, it's red. So Jesus' words were, you evil doers. Verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. We're going to kind of build upon that and see why that part of the phrase is probably even more so important than the first part of the, the verse right here. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Verse 14, also very important. Uh, I didn't prepare this uh, for the message, but I just want to go back real quick uh, for a second. And... You got to realize in in verse five in chapter five, you know they're asking Jesus things, right? And Jesus is preparing this message, uh, this we call the Sermon on the Mount. And there again, just to kind of rehash some of the things we learned, people will either conclude that yes, this is one literal sermon that Jesus taught as a complete teaching, or this is Jesus' greatest hits, right? So this is like all the best things all together. Okay, which side of that you fall on makes no difference on whether Jesus was who he said he was. Right? Because both sides of that discussion both embrace that Jesus is who he said he was, and he taught what he said he taught. And back in chapter 5, we actually see that Jesus said in verse 17, if you want to, actually if you want to flip there for a second, uh, chapter 5, verse 17. And it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Y'all holding that? Do not think I've come to abolish or do away with, make insignificant, unimportant, right? Do not think that I have lessened the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So that's where we started this, right? This is like... All right, the Sermon on the Mount is starting to teach us something here. And in verse uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 12, we, we see that statement has reached a finality or a conclusion, right? And we find that in the way of, uh, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. How do we start? 
where we started. Y'all ever seen those pictures, like how, we, how it started versus how it's going? How we started. I didn't come to do away with these things, right? I didn't come to do away with the law that I'm about to teach you all about in the Sermon on the Mount. No, rather, I have come to fulfill it. Fulfillment doesn't mean you don't have to, to follow it anymore, right? It means that in Jesus, the law and the prophets, or the first five books of the Bible, all find meaning. People will try and argue and say, oh, well, Jesus, you know, Jesus came, so I can basically just do what I want now. Find that one in Scripture, bring it to me, right? Other people will say, well, I don't believe in Jesus, but like, I like his idea of morality. Can I tell you a secret? That means you, you, you're curious about Jesus. We just got to keep working on that. And what happens, unfortunately, with a lot of people who will follow morality but not follow Jesus is people will shove it, right? And they'll like put it, and we're in the South, so I can say this because like probably everybody in this room has probably been guilty at one point in time. And if not guilty, you've had it happen to you. But you like, Jah! right, shove religion in somebody's face. And not like shove let me tell you about Jesus and how bad I am he is. You don't shove that part, right? You shove the part where it's like, and God said you're going to hell. Anybody ever have those like those knockers on the door, right? And they're like, I'll tell you about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Can we have a discussion? I'm cool. Come on in. Right? And before they can have their before their hineys hit the seats, center and fornicator, you're going to hell. Right? It happens. And we wonder why people do not want to come and meet the Jesus of Christ that they're talking about. He checks it off the list. Well, stop to the house. <laughs> they're going to hell. Right? Move to the next. Does this show any general... I mean, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just saying this really happens. Does this show any actual like, care or compassion for the fellow the fellow man or woman that is your neighbor. Because that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. The law and the prophets, how you, can, how you can use the law and the prophets to fulfill what God has planned for your life to further the life of your neighbor. The Sermon on the Mount wasn't like, follow this and you have a great life. No, it was follow me so that you can treat other people right. The main idea of this particular uh, you know, portion of Scripture, but honestly the Sermon on the Mount in general, is that God hears, not just hears, but God hears and responds to our prayers. Is that resonating with it? Will you put that up? It'll be on the slide. Is that resonating with anybody? It's not enough that God just hears, right? God hears and he cares. You probably had a parent, right? If you didn't have a parent, <laughs> then you're like, oh, Lord. You just keep your mouth shut on this one, right? But you either had a parent or knew a parent that some people had incredible communicators for parents, right? Open lines of communication, and with open lines of communication, what happens? Good relationships, right? Then you knew people that, like, there was no line of communication. It was like you spoke different languages, as a matter of fact. And can I tell you a secret? Kids, that's just as much your fault as it is their fault. There's an old saying that the phone goes both ways, right? It calls and it receives calls. Communication is something we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? In, in like any relationship, communication is like, it's not important. Like, it's the foundation. So it's not enough that God just hears, right? Because he receives the call, but he also calls back. The phone literally did go both ways. All right, kids, I know y'all don't call people anymore, right? If I were to, like, pull your call log, it's just where spam numbers have called you. The text goes out and it comes in. Now I got y'all again. Y'all are with me? Right? Like text messages. They're like, the text message. 
Snapchats, right? They're red and unread, right? So the big picture here in this, in this, in this passage of Scripture, the big picture is coming to fruition. So we see that Jesus said he didn't just come to abolish the law and the prophets. Because again, some people use Jesus as like, y'all ever play Monopoly? Like a normal person game of Monopoly, not the seven-hour real version, right? Like the cheater method where like in 30 minutes somehow or another, you can accomplish the same thing that other people are still playing and they started seven years ago. But one of the spaces on the Monopoly board, what does it say? Y'all know which one I'm talking about. Not free parking. Get out of jail free. And that's not enough, right? You got one on the board. Well, then in your little cards, I don't know what they're called, but in the little cards on Monopoly, what, there's always some in the deck. What do those say? Get out of jail free. And way too many of us, like that is your extent of what Jesus is. He's Savior, but he's not Lord. In other words, he paid, your, he paid for your meal, right? But then you don't, like, you don't actually want to talk to him. Right? You, don't, like, you don't actually want to sit with him. You just want him to pay for your money. Just pay for my lunch, and then you go about your way. And we laugh, you know, that it's silly, but that's what our relationship with God looks like. The, the two most, and you could, you could again, I'm going to give you two of the things, and these can be emphasized in many ways, but two of the things that are most important in your life. It's your time and your money. Amen? Right? Your time and your money. You can never take back time. You can never have enough money. Right? Oh, man. This is going to suck. Let's ease into this, okay? So the Sermon on the Mount is like, did this say suck? Yeah. Suck, suck, suck. Right? Okay, I'm going to get in trouble for that one later. The FCC, if they're watching, like, I probably just got, like, bleeped right there. Sermon on the Mount. We have an outline, a rough working outline. If my note takers, right, this is going to, like, this is going to make you happy. Uh, for the people that just wait until I post, uh, post it into the group, you're like, that, that makes me happy, too. You've done the work, right? So the, the, the rough outline or the working outline of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapter 5, verses 17 through 48 these are Jesus' interpretation and application of the law. Here's what the Bible says, and here's what to do with it. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, is Jesus' instruction related to deeds of righteousness. You're like, hey, can you explain that for, uh, for Drake? That's what, that's what Nevaeh said. Can you, can you explain that for Drake? So this is, in other words... Basically, this is Jesus teaching you how to how to do right. Y'all from like all y'all are like, oh, I appreciate that. I, I get that, right? This is Jesus telling you how to do right. It's Jesus telling you how to live right. Chapter six, verses nineteen through thirty-four. This is Jesus' instruction on how to handle possessions. What was something that was very important to you? Oh, money, right? Time and money, time and money, time and money. <laughs> Chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, that was last week, right? This was Jesus' instruction on how to live with other people. Yep, there are other people, and we do have to coexist with them. I know, everybody is making the, like, the, the stank nose at me right now. So the introverts are like, nope, that's not that's not true. Not true. And the extroverts are like, yeah, introvert, come sit closer to me. Right? Verses, chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, this is Jesus' application of. Notice how Jesus concludes this. Jesus' application of prayer. All right. Possessions, what is this? Money, you got it. 
You've got it, Lori. Money. Jesus' application of prayer. To pray requires what from you? Oh, man. Come. Right? Y'all didn't like that part. Yeah, but like, I can pray inside my head. Okay, that's fine. Don't multitask then. Because if you're trying to multitask, if you're praying in your mind, if your complete undivided attention is not given to God, then you're not praying. You're like mumbling to yourself. We've talked about this in our teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. What, is, what does God want? 99%? No. He wants 100. And here's the really cool part. If you try and keep 99 and like, mm, I'll give you this one, right? Like, I'll give you a little bit of me. You will end up and you will find out that you end up with nothing. Been there, done that. If you give God your complete 100% undivided time, attention, money, finances, if you give him everything, he is like good enough, he is great enough, he is merciful enough, compassionate enough that 90% of everything else comes right back to you. But you have to trust him with all of it. You know, the, we, we talked about two of the things that were most important to you, and the, the kids are like, that's funny, I don't have any money. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, kids. <laughs> that's going to become very important to you in life, just so you know. I can speak that over you. What you'll find is the two aspects of your life that you'll often find are the most challenging to give to God. The most challenging to give to God. I can feel the air leaving the room because everybody knows where this is going. Right? It's not a secret here. Hey, kids, what do y'all think the two most difficult things to give to God are? Oh, Drake said it. Time and money. Nevaeh's like, I'm just going to smile. Right? I've got like six smiles out of Nevaeh today. This is a good day for me. Like, statistically, I feel like I'm doing well. Your time and your money. We say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this down for you in a second, and it's going to hurt your feelings a little bit. I'm going to give my whole life to God, except I'm not going to let him have any place in my workplace. I'm not going to let him have control of my schedule. I know he's good, and I know he's great, right? And I know he does amazing things. And, you know, maybe he's done some miracles. Maybe. But I can't give him my money. What am I, spo what am I supposed to do if I give it to him? Uh, be blessed. Remember the Beatitudes? Go back and look at those again. Because in the Beatitudes, we saw that to be poor was to be rich. Does everybody remember that? And... To be poor doesn't literally mean that you're not allowed to have anything. It means you have to give it all to God. You have to bankrupt yourself, your time, your talent, your treasures. You have to bankrupt yourself, give it to Him, and allow Him to, dis to distribute in the way that, that, that is actually beneficial for your lives. We talked about when we first started the Sermon on the Mount, there's a word, that I, probably about 18 months ago, I began to, oh, I know I'm not supposed to say this, I began to hate the word. Loathe, okay? That, that sounds better. I begin to loathe the word. Busy. Just makes my skin crawl thinking about it. People will like, this is how they like, they, they find themselves to be more important than other people. How you been? <laughs> Just been so busy. Right? Been working a lot? Oh yeah, I've been busy. We wear this like it's a badge. If you are busy, I feel like like this is, you know, how, I don't know why it's women too, but you know how women hate the word moist for the most part? Like women, most women hate the word moist, right? This is my word that like, ugh, I feel it. I know what they, what they feel like, busy. Because when I began to understand what it means to be busy, this means that you have taken complete control of your time and you've decided how to distribute it. And are we very good distributors of our own resources? 
Send a woman into Hobby Lobby or Target, and let's see how people are with distribution of resources. Okay, give a man some thrift books or some Amazon. All right? Give a Corey a subscription to Peacock and watch him go wild on WWE. Just give Drake something. Haven't figured out what that something is yet, right? But we're not good stewards of our resources. We're not. If you're like, oh, yeah, I am. I'm a, good, I'm a good steward of my resources. Why aren't you giving to God what's God's? Well, matter of fact, anybody can go into the settings on your phone. You can actually pull up your app usage. Oh. You're such a good steward of your resources. Time, talent, treasure, resources. You're such a good steward of your resources. How much time is spent in the Bible app? You'll see like the little symbol that's like greater than a minute. Right, or less than a minute. It's like, what? Would you just open it to like keep a streak going? Right. So I know y'all are wondering, like, what's up with the what's up with the Bibles? What's up with the paper? Basically, going forward, you'll, you'll see why we talk Sermon on the Mount directly into uh, the Book of Revelation. It'll become kind of obvious to you as we get uh, verses thirteen. Uh, through 27. These are four warnings. Okay, guys. Four warnings. Alright, when you think of Revelation, the book of Revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, by the way. There's a word that instantly everybody that's like ever been to church, I don't even know how it's like, it's like osmosis. This word becomes associated in your mind with, with it, but apocalypse, Right? When you think Revelation, you think Apocalypse. And what do you think of when you think of Apocalypse? The end times. Okay, time out. I'm not going to spoil too much of Revelation. The end times have been happening since Jesus tore the veil. Just so you know, we've been living in the end times. This word Apocalypse is Apocalypso in the Greek. And you know what it means? Oh, you ready? What's the book called? Revelation. It's an unveiling. Wow. We can go into Revelation and teach Revelation now and be a little less scared of what we're walking into. There's three words in the beginning of this, this teaching text from tonight that are very, very important. Ask, seek, knock. Everybody say it with me. Ask, seek, knock. I think my mom just made some funny acronym with her notes or something. She smiled at me real big. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Why is that important? Because they are all, y'all ready for this? In present imperative form in the original Greek. And now that everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? Am I right, guys? No, you don't. It's okay. Maybe somebody in here is like an English nerd, and they understand. Okay, so present imperative is a continuation, right? This is a continuation of action. So when you see ask, this means ask and keep asking. When you see seek, this means seek and keep seeking. When it says knock, it means knock and... Okay, so... All right, oh, this is going to be fun. So everybody sees these, these verses here, and they're like, oh, man, just, this makes me feel like God's just going to give me a bunch of stuff. Nope. Not what this is about. The four warnings that we're going to see come about, right, are all about a thing called salvation. That means, do you know Jesus in your heart as not just Lord, but Lord and Savior, right? So in other words, do you know him as the hearer and the responder? Present imperative, hear and respond. Hear and keep hearing. Respond and keep responding. Open line of communication. What all this is leading us to, indicating us about, is about salvation. That you ask for his salvation, and guess what? 
he gives. That you seek his salvation and you find. That you knock on the door of his salvation. Just going to go ahead and give you a big warning here. This right here, this knock part, was probably one of our biggest uh, like foreshadowing of us heading into the book of Revelation. This knock right here. If you're a note taker, I don't have time to give you all my notes. Revelation 3.20, go look that one up when you get home. So they're in present imperative form. This means that we're called to continue in action. We're, this is a call to arms. This is, okay, I know the kids, fighting words. Them's fighting words. Now y'all with me? You're like, if I say them's fighting words, you got me. I said a call to, act, a call to arms or a call to action, you're like, hmm. Right? I just came because I heard we got lunch after this. <laughs> I love y'all. I'm not really going to dive too deep into 13 and 14 today. Again, just really kind of give you the emphasis on the fact that they are the first of four warnings. If you're like a person that just likes to have things ruined for you, that's fine because I'm a spoiler. Right? So the first, first of four, uh, they're the, the two gates and the two roads. Two kinds of prophets, two kinds of disciples, and two kinds of foundations. Everything that we're going to look at the next two weeks beyond tonight directly prepare you for Revelation. Revelation is what? Y'all say it with me. The revelation of Jesus Christ. What was the Sermon on the Mount? The greatest teaching, the greatest hits of Jesus Christ. We couldn't just reveal Jesus Christ without you knowing the teaching of Jesus Christ. Every time I say Jesus Christ, and I say it quick, I'm, I feel like that guy on Instagram. Jesus Christ. You seen that video? I know y'all play on TikTok, so. Yeah, I didn't know. Sin leads to death and destruction. Verse 13. I'll read it again for you. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. This is an introduction. Uh, you go back just a little bit more and you see verse 11. What did it say? If you then, who are evil. Jesus said that, y'all. If you then, who are evil. We can't be flower hippies on this one, right? Jesus said love. Jesus said not to judge. Right? Jesus also said you're evil. He said you don't just give good gifts because you're good. Right? You give good gifts because you understand the, the complexity of morality. And where did that happen? In Genesis. Right? When we ate of the tree of what? Knowledge, good and evil. Y'all see all this coming, coming together full circle here. If you who are evil. Y'all didn't know Jesus said that, did you? Changes the whole dynamic of things here, doesn't it? Jesus is love. He is. But Jesus is quick to call you on your crap. You ever li uh, not not you guys? I know y'all. You ever been living in sin? And you you just have that inclination, that that voice that says, "Dude, this is so wrong." That's the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been in a season of not knowing what you were going to do, what your plans were? You felt like you had no future, and there was just a direction that just takes you somewhere. That's the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that does those great things shows you when you're wrong. And the difference between a believer and a, a true believer and a non-believer is the believer hears and responds. The non-believer hears and keeps on keeping on. In the words of Matthew McConaughey, show be a whole lot cooler if you did. Dave, excuse anybody? Okay. Somebody will get that one later. Did you get it, Cindy? Like nine. Before he got it. All right, so. 
no, Wolf of Wall Street. We're okay, we're just we're gonna we're gonna keep on going. Narrow gate. This is, in fact, Jesus speaking of life. All of us have got to go through a gate, right? There, there is an end. You, hey, check this out. You're, you know what you and a carton of milk have in common? You both got an expiration date. Probably one of the most, like, sadistic-sounding things I've ever said from a pulpit. <laughs> that was not, that was, that was, okay, sorry about that, guys. You, you do expire, though, okay? So you die. I don't know if you, like, you figured that one out yet. Remember I told you I'm the guy with spoiler alert? You, you do die. You don't live forever. I thought, I was young one time. Still young-ish. Still youngish. Uh, I was young one time, and I thought that I was completely indestructible. Right? That's a parent that has seen it, right? That's not, don't, don't take my word for it. Uh, you ever seen the ShamWow commercials? But wait, there's more, right? Like, I've been there. When, he, when you see him, him speaking here of few will find it, this is salvation. All of us have to go through a gate. Again, expression date, death, you die. Another spoiler alert, Jesus wins in the end. Few find it. So much so, the same Jesus that said, if you then, who are evil, you know, that same Jesus also at one point in time says, not all who call me Lord, Lord, right? I don't know everybody that calls me Lord. Because again, to some people, he's Lord. To some people, he's Savior. If he is not Lord and Savior, he's not actually either. This requires complete submission. And again, the Bibles and the sheets in front of you told y'all this was going to kind of have a challenge tonight for you, today for you. Your time and your resources. I'm going to put this into some complete perspective. Each day has 1,440 minutes. So I think there's like a song from Rant that breaks this down for you, okay? Each day has 1,440 minutes. Uh, we work on an eight-hour system. And it's actually broke down into three eight-hour systems, which goes to show you even further how, okay, the, the non-believing world still breaks their day down into a seven-day calendar, right? God made a seven-day calendar. God broke everything down into a trinity, a, a threefold. Can I tell you another secret? The world still works on a trinity eight-hour system. Our, our work days are typically broken down onto eight hours of work, eight hours of sleep. Y'all are like, that would be nice. And then some people are like, those are rookie numbers. you got to pump those numbers up. Sleep, I mean. <laughs> and then eight hours of free time. And remember, I told you I don't like the word what? Busy. I just saw some faces in here that said, whoa, where did this eight hours of free time? Right? Eight hours of work, y'all are like, oh, I understand that. Eight hours of sleep, you're like, I don't get eight hours. So that means you have even more free time. Eight hours of free time. Okay, let, let's break this down in a really awesome way. 480, that's eight hours of free time. 480 minutes. If you gave God just... 10% of your free time. Remember, 100% of the day is supposed to be his. And then you allow him to work through you. Even if you were living a life that was not in full submission, if you were just, I'm 99% plugged in, right? So even if you were a person that's just 99% plugged in, this is 48 minutes a day that you would be devoting to prayer in Scripture. In other words, spending time with God. 
Yeah, that's just on an eight hour. Um, let's just, I'm not a mathematician here, but let's see here. Let's just say that you actually gave the full 10% of your entire day. That's 144 minutes. Divided by 60, that's 2.4 hours a day. If you were actually living on a 10% system that you would be giving to God in worship. All right. Now that we've kind of realized that we're not who we say we are, y'all, I'm the guy up front. On a good day, I might be able to give that 10%. On like a Saturday. When I get up before the kids and I study, right? Or on my Thursday mornings when I sermon prep, when I get up before everybody else. That's become really hard lately because I'm getting older, right? I used to be like way before 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock hits now, and sometimes four days out of five, I have to snooze that thing, right? Because 30 hit, and then like people will tell you when 30 hits, it hits, Okay? And it hits hard. Y'all like, oh, 30? Wait till you see 50. Things don't even come out like they used to, okay? That's your time, right? The time in your day. What's the other thing that people, oh, man, look. All the, all the churches ever want to do is talk about how to spend my money. Right? Y'all have heard people talk like that. All, all them preachers want to do is just fatten their pocket. I don't make a penny from this, guys. Everything we bring in here immediately goes to pay for the things you see and for us to be able to love on other people. All of it. Not, not 90%. 100%. I don't think I have to do, you know what, I didn't have to do the time math for you, but it, it, it sucked when you found out, right? It really did, it was like a gut punch to find out. All right, let's say, uh, let's say that you, let's just pull some math, what's minimum wage now, 7 75 something like that? Oh man, people don't want to hear about this, right? They're like, oh, no, 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 let's not actually do math. It's 310, right? If it's 775, I think it is. 40-hour work week. 310. Anybody good with percentages? What is 10% of 310? 31. All right, so, and that's, again, minimum wage. So now let's see that you're in the median in, in South Carolina, which is $16 an hour for the median wage in South Carolina at this point. 16 times 40. Oh, not what I meant to do. Let's just do some calculator up here. 640. I know, y'all don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. This sucks. But guess what? If you are faithful with the little, guess what? You'll be faithful with the much. But you're not faithful with the little, and you wonder why you don't get much. I would give more if God would give me more. Are you giving him what you got to begin with? We ain't talking about that, right? We're not, we're not talking about that. I if he would just give me more, I would give more. No, if, if, if he would give you more, you would spend more. In the words of the theologian, Biggie Smalls, more money, more problems. And why more money, more problems? Because more money, more spend. More money, not more give, right? These things don't correlate in our, in our little minds. We've got to start taking back. We've, we've let society dictate the way that we live our Christian lives. People are like, oh, the time, the time doesn't hurt your feelings, right? Like, you can hear about how much time you're wasting not spending it with God. And you're like, 
Rookie numbers. All right? You got to pump that up to 10 hours sleep. You got to. Some of y'all are like, eh, six hours. I'm lucky. Okay, that's more time that you could be devoting to God. And for some reason, like time is like important to us, right? But that one doesn't hurt as much as when we talk about our finances. And when God said, and okay, oh, y'all, y'all, nobody's going to like this. This is one of those ones where people are like going to leave, and you'll look at your Google search results, and it'll say, other churches in Belton, right? Because you want to go find somebody who's going to say something that makes you feel good. Somebody to tell me how I could just pray enough, and then I could have a mansion. That's not true. If I told you that, I would be a liar. Last week, we looked at how the devil was what? The father of lies. So if I lied to you, I would be someone that lived under the father of lies. But I'm not going to do that. So when Jesus said, and he meant this very much in verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, it's almost like we seem to forget that God is also included in this equation. I want God to do this through me. I want God to do this for me. I'm not giving him any of my time. I'm not giving him any of my talents. I'm definitely not giving him any of my treasures. But I wonder why he's not giving me more. But the second somebody says a mean word to you, if you would just treat people the way that you want to be treated, okay, that's great. Are you treating God the way that you want to be treated? Got really crickety in here. These aren't the ones that feel good, guys. Why? Because it affects me too, just just like you. This is not like a me, me, me. This is a huh, huh, huh thing. That was like me making us all here together. Can you give me James? I think I got James 4, uh, 2, and 1 Thessalonians real quick. I think they're on the same slide. James 4, 2 through 3. You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. James, you know, the brother of Jesus, the same guy that called us evil. That guy. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. This goes back to that, I would give more if I had more. No, you wouldn't. You would spend more. You do not ask. You, you do not, when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Y'all, that was like 2,000 years ago. Not much has changed, huh? About 1,900, I guess, give or take 70 years ago. Nothing's changed. Paul says in his letters to the, the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It's a tough teaching today, guys. Rejoice always. I, you know, I just had to pump you up a little bit before we get out of here. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Okay, all circumstances. This is in much, in little, in times of plenty, in times of few. In all circumstances. Rejoice always. Pray continually give thanks. If you're looking for like a, a motivational thing on how to live life and, and you know, if you're just really searching for something here, it's th a pretty good place to start. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks. How do you better manage your time, your talent, and your treasures? Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus.
So to sum up everything we've kind of stepped on each other's toes with today, verses 7 and 8, God is actually honored at our persistence to ask. Verses 9 through 11, God is actually honored by our expectancy. Not just that we ask, but we ask with anticipation. Is, is he talking about when we ask for more things? No, 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 no. When we ask how to make our lives more shaped and resembled on him. When we ask for salvation. When we ask for the salvation of others. When we ask that God would go and work in other people's lives in a mighty way. God is honored by our expectancy. In conclusion, our persistent expectancy of our trust in God, revealed by our faithfulness to believe Him for all things, finds ground not in the answering in, pr in prayer, not the fact that He answers prayer every time that we ask, but that we have a willingness to ask God and know that He listens. Because of his love for us and his compassion for our well-being, he achieves infinitely more than we could ever imagine. I say all that to sum it up in, in this way. Uh, John Piper, pretty storied uh, theologian and teacher of the Bible, says this. He says, the, the asker receives, the seeker finds, the knocker gets an open door. How is this summed up? By saying, your Father will give you good things. That's salvation. That is a faithfulness and a trust that you can believe Him for the impossible. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll bring our kids down. Dear Heavenly Father God, we're just so thankful tonight, God, to today, rather, God, to just trust you with everything we have, God. That today, we would start a new tradition. For the next 90 days, God, there's... These lists in front of us, Lord, that we know we can go to you in our times, God, and we would just pray to you, God. We would spend time in your word, God, and I just pray that you'll use this time that we're going to commit to you, that we're going to devote to you, God. You'll just use this time to, to reach our hearts, to reach our minds, reach our motives, God, and that we would be a light into the community around us. In your heavenly gracious name we pray. Amen.